Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hey everyone, you are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast and you are joined with my very special guest. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it's called the preamble for a reason, Austin. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? It's Mayu here, obviously joined with Austin. We're, this is going to be our first episode that we release after the new year. Uh, we decided to take last week off just because poor planning and such. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, you just... <laughs> <laughs> Very transparent, but yeah, that is why. <laughs> yeah, also, what have you been up to, man? Been up to a lot, man. So as people might know that I've resigned from my full-time job, <clears throat> I think we mentioned that in the last episode that came out, final days, February 26th. So during the holidays, I've just been trying to focus on getting into the mojo of doing entrepreneurship full-time because I didn't want to completely slack off. If I did, I think that sets the tone for when I start entrepreneurship mm-hmm. full-time. So I force myself to wake up, get on the hustle grind, take my lunch break when I needed to, and just essentially work as if I was working a full-time job, but on real estate instead. But other than that, man, it's always going to be the same sort of update for the most part on the wholesaling side. I'm just getting the groundwork in. We hired a virtual assistant, so we're doing orientation right now, and she loves us. So like, I'm happy that she loves us right now. (laughs) We're, 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 We're giving her a lot more than the typical VA gets in the Philippines. Like we're giving incentives or giving bonuses, but that's the type of thing that you need to Mm. give to keep your employees motivated and to keep them hustling and grinding. And it's part of the reason why I left corporate as well, right? Like, because there was no financial incentive to work any harder. How about you, man? What have you been up to? That's actually a really interesting scheme. So even though it's a VA where essentially your cost of labor should be lower and you should be like, you're going through an agency and stuff, you're still directly offering the employee a bonus structure or something like hey like you get us a lead that actually closes we'll give you like xyz dollars and i'm sure it's not too much but like it'll make a difference right so that's actually pretty interesting me i locked up a flip in tiny ontario that was a literally a december 31st lockup so went and looked at it december 31st at 3 p.m put in the offer and gave them the deposit on the second that one is a super fast close situation so january 14th i think next week sometime is a close so i gotta basically close it all cash and i just raised the funds like through friends and family we were trying to do private and it was just like it's too it's too, too fast of a timeline right yeah yeah the and holiday then, year. yeah yeah and then you only get one chance to lock in your interest rate and your lender fees and stuff like that and like hmm. once it's paid and if you just make a rash quick decision like with unfavorable terms you might regret it later so we we're like hey why don't we close this and then we'll refinance this into private and then we'll see and go from there what what profit margin are you kind of hoping for on the conservative end so it's super conservative i'd put it at 40k that's amazing yeah so it's a big question on what is after repair value because in tiny and tiny is it's like it's like a cottage country area right like georgian bay and like all that stuff this is about a two minute walk from the water uh purchased at 320 there's basically nothing on the market in all of tiny I think there might be like one property under like 500, but everything is a very different lot size. Like ours is a 40 by hundred. So it's the smallest lot that I've seen in tiny and everything that's sold, like it it sells like 550, 600. Sure. But it's like hundred by 150, which for cottage country matters. Right. So when we ran our numbers, we ran it at 450. Like, okay, if we spend 40 to 50 K and we get 450 on this, what is our profit margin? You kind of end up around that 40 to 40 K ish mark. So I was like, okay, that's like acceptable. And then anything I get on top of that is going to make this into a good, successful project for me, right? Well, well, that's how you're supposed to go about calculating the flip. So it's good. Like yeah. you, you, like 500 plus, but you don't want to, you don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to bank on it. Run it on that. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then I also looked at, okay, what happens if the cottage market softens, right? Like if you think yeah. about what's going on in the world right now, and if international travel opens up, are people still going to be buying cottages as much? Probably not, right? So then I also looked at the the second best use, which would just be to make it into an Airbnb cottage play and treat it as an active basis income. So yeah, that's that's basically what's going on with me. And then I, I just spent some time yesterday, kind of budgeting and uh, kind of anticipating my capital expenditures for the next like two to three months. Myself and you, Austin, we've got 
I don't even know how many refinances we have to do, man. But we've got two uh, refinances underway, and then we got to do one more for our set of three towns. We are planning to offload one of our three towns as well this year during Q1. That'll be an interesting one. Yeah, if anyone's looking for three towns, a private sale, let me know. Shoot me a DM, and I'll, I'll handle the question. Also, don't worry. <laughs> Love um, it. You got to use the platform, man. We're the MLS now. Fuck yeah, three MLS. towns in Windsor. Play? Student rental play potential. <laughs> yeah, if realtors yeah, want to promote their listing, let us know. It's only uh, <laughs> it's only a small charge of uh, $10,000 per listing. Cool. <laughs> All right, guys. Today, we have an episode with Kellen. So some of you guys might have heard of Kellen before. He's also a young hustler, real estate investor. He started in late 2016, hit the ground running. He was working a full-time job like a lot of us, but he was extremely frugal. He's He was saving a lot of money and ended up purchasing a duplex when he was 26 years old in London, Ontario. And while he was house hacking that duplex, he began investing in more cash flowing rental units. And at the age of 29, he was able to quit his full-time job in only two and a half years at the age of 29. And now he has 52 units with no joint venture partner whatsoever and is getting six figures in cash flow. This is going to be an amazing episode, guys. Trust me on this. Make sure to tune in. And also, lastly, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and whatever else you can do to support this podcast. Tune in. Hey everyone, we are joined with Kellen James. Kellen, how's it going, man? I'm going. I'm doing well. How about you guys? Not too bad. Not too bad. Mayu, you did first episode, Kellen. Um, our first guest of 2021, and Kellen is a rock star. So, uh, Kellen, why don't you tell anyone that doesn't know anything about you? I guess your background and your story. Yeah. So I started investing actually not that long back. I guess it's about five years now. 2016 is when I bought my first property. I was renting before that. I was working in the tech world. You know, I did computer science and then worked at Cisco and I was saving a bunch of money. Like I was living cheap, renting a two bedroom apartment and renting with a roommate, splitting it and just saving as much as I could. So I actually ended up saving about like a little bit over a hundred, hundred thousand dollars just by just saving hard and not even owning a car most of that time and just, you know, like living cheap. And then how long did then you think I was like, how long, that, sorry? Save, how long did it take you to save that hundred? Like, what are we talking about? We're in 20. It took a few, it took like four, probably four, maybe five years, but at the same, but, and that actually includes, I worked a ton during my under, my, during my undergrad degree. So yeah, tons of co-op positions. I actually, I paid through, I paid my way through school and I actually, I came out ahead. So I, I had OSAP loans and stuff like that. And then as soon as the, the OSAP loans came due, I paid them in full and, uh, and I still had like 20 grand left over. And then I just kind of kept saving from there. So then I was like, I really want to get financial independence. I'm kind of sick of sitting in this chair. And I, uh, I thought, well, I started reading into Mr. Money Mustache and like financial independence subreddits and things like that. And I looked at the 4% safe withdrawal rate and I was like, this is cool. At least there's some version of freedom that isn't 65 years old before I quit. Right. And then I was like, well, it'd be kind of cool. Maybe if I, you know, I was like, I was having a difficult time justifying buying a house, right? If I bought a house now, I, I have to pay all these expenses and I definitely need to car a car at that point and all these things. And, and then I was like, well, maybe if it was a duplex and I lived in one unit, that could make a lot of sense. And I started looking and things made sense there, but I, I, I held off for a while. And then I came across bigger pockets podcasts. And then I just binged the hell, like just binged them, like so many of them from episode one, like a hundred episodes or something like that. And then I went on the bigger pockets website and I was like, I set an alert for London, Ontario and said, if you know, if anyone is in London, Ontario, you'll get an alert. Someone posts that keyword. And some point, a couple months later or so, there were people in London, a couple of people that had made a post and they're like, oh yeah, why don't we meet up? And so we ended up meeting up at like a bar in London and there was maybe, I think there was about 10 of us actually, which was pretty cool from, or maybe six or 10 of us. And one of them was Matt McKeever, Dylan McLaughlin was there. And then, yeah. And Matt Geertz and some other people that are, you know, Matt, Matt's all over Facebook and stuff like that and uh, has his own meetup. And that was actually originally, so like that was where we met in the same place that Matt Geertz still hosts. Anyway, so after a while, you know, we were doing that. And then I was like, we really like to start our own financial independence meetup group. So myself and Dylan McLaughlin, Mike Rosehart and, and Matt McKeever, we started up London on fire and it was all about financial independence. And we started attracting, you know, we had like 40, 50, 60 people coming out, which was mind mind boggling, especially at the time, because there wasn't I, there, like there was rain and there were some other meetups, but like 
there wasn't a lot of this stuff going on at the time anywhere. And we have people coming from all over Ontario with people coming from the States, like, because from they're the like, States. why is this in London? Like, where, <laughs> where, there's nothing else yeah. like this. And so we did that for a while and it was awesome. And uh, we, we've been doing it up until COVID basically. Yeah. And then I got into my first duplex. I did it with 5% down. Actually, at the time I pulled out money with my home buy. I, this is really something I'd recommend for the average investor when they're starting out. I did 5% down. I did, I pulled money from my RSP using the home buyer's plan, pulled out 25,000 because I'd been contributing that through my day job, pulled out 25,000. I didn't even need the full 25,000 for the 5% down. So I pulled out more than I needed, which you're allowed to do. And that gave me some serious momentum. I, now I was living for free in one side of this duplex. And then I started buying my, my inve investment properties using the Burr method. And uh, the next property I ever bought, I bought two properties on the same day for properties two and three. And uh, one of them ended up being a really good burr. I got all my money out plus like 80 grand. And, uh, and then the other, yeah, it was, it was a really great deal. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then I, I bought, and then the property I'm still in right now is another yeah. one I bought as my second slash third property. And then just kind of went from there. I was doing, I started realizing pretty early off market deals were a huge thing. You know, I was mentoring people along the way. I was learning from, I had mentors along the way and it was just, I don't know. It was just, I, it, I became completely obsessed. And at some point I, well, we can dive into the story more, but two and a half years later, I quit my day job. Uh, well, actually I went to go quit my day job and I got laid off, uh, which was kind of perfect. Better. Yeah, it was better. We left on a van trip. My, my girlfriend and I, we drove around the USA. We did 30,000 kilometers. We saw like 30 States and 20 national parks and just we brought the dog and had an amazing time and then got back and have continued scaling the portfolio since then. I'm, and I'm currently at 52 units and they're all solely owned with no joint venture partners. That is phenomenal. <laughs> there is a lot to unpack there. So let's start with the origin story, actually. Um, there's not too many people on our podcast who are frugal. Mayu, right. not frugal. <laughs> yeah, I was frugal. I, 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 th I think I probably still fall under that category, yeah. but... There's plenty of things that I'm not frugal with at this point. I, I mean, I, I, I pay, I buy, I go out for food all the time. Uh, if I want something these days, like my cash flow is very significant at this point. I'm not scared to just buy something if it, if it fits my lifestyle or it saves me time. I absolutely love spending money on things that save me time. Convenience is the number one thing that I spend money on because my time is worth more. So yeah. spending that money often ends up saving me money. You afforded yourself that freedom. That's the difference, right? A lot of yeah. people want that freedom, but they can't afford it. And they choose to do nothing to get themselves in that position. The only person that we had talk about frugality on our podcast at all was Nish. So starting off at the beginning, how important would you say that frugality was for you to get into the real estate scene? And what were some of the tips and tricks that you did to, to, to try to save as much money as possible? So house hacking was one of them. What else was there? Yeah. I mean, early, early before I owned a car, I mean, that was a huge thing, not having a car. It sucked. I mean, in some ways, right. Getting groceries was, I had to walk or maybe I'd, maybe I'd get an Uber or something like that. If you're lucky enough to be able to borrow your parents' vehicle, but otherwise I'd rent a car when I needed one. So if I'm going out of town, I'd rent a car when I was under 25, you know, there's fees. So I would use Costco and they had, they had discounts and stuff like that through Costco and they would waive the fee so that I wouldn't have to pay for, you know, under 25 rentals. Yeah, I, I, I just, I lived in the cheapest apartment I could. I walked to work every day and I, I worked a second job on the side for Intel doing like salesy type stuff and Best Buy. So I'd work full time. And then after work, I'd take the bus up to the mall and I would do sales stuff for Intel. And I just saved, I just saved everything I could because I mean, the idea with financial independence early on, especially if you're looking at the 4% safe withdrawal rate is you're expecting that you have to maintain this lifestyle forever. You, you know, you, you start to figure out your budget and how much you spend per year. And you start going, okay, if I can, if this is a lifestyle I'm happy, happy with, you know, and I can continue saving this way, I can expect to be able to retire at this age and, and keep spending the same amount of money. I mean, as much as, as I, I think that's an amazing concept, but I'm much happier being able to spend more freely. That's for sure. So it's nice when you can make more, right? It's always nice when you can, when you can make a little bit more. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'd have to echo that. Like, I know I, I don't preach about frugality as much as not preach, but like, I don't talk about frugality as much as Austin does, <laughs> but I know like all of us have had to make 
sacrifices at some point. Like there's always a decision to be made. Do I buy that new car? Do I put the deposit on a new house, right? Or not a new house, but like a house. So that's always going to be a decision that you have to make. And I look forward to that day where it doesn't become a trade-off and it's just, hey, I have all this capital. I can buy a car and a house and like a whatever and whatever, right? So, and that comes a time pretty quickly, definitely at Austin stage where frugality doesn't matter anymore too much, to be honest. And maybe that's a, maybe that's something Austin doesn't want to hear, but it matters very much during the early, you know, first, second property kind of thing, because you want to pour everything you can into real estate. It matters far less when you're, when you, once you're doing well, it still matters if you're buying expensive car, like that stuff, you know, if you're buying a Lamborghini, that could be a down payment. Like, of course that kind of stuff matters, but you know, more extreme frugality or anything that, you know, you, you know, you have to wait in line or you have to fill out a form or, or anything that takes your time in order to save 10 bucks, you know, versus, versus that time where you could have made 20, 30, a hundred bucks, like pretty quickly, it doesn't make any sense anymore. And yeah. for me, honestly, a huge thing at this point is just mental bandwidth. So I don't want to have to think about that stuff. I don't want that to be a, a thing in my head. So for example, I'm doing a, an elimination diet at this point. I have a health condition. I'm trying to mess around with a little bit. And I went to, of all places, Farm Boy to buy a bunch of this stuff because I was like, I don't feel like going to a bunch of different grocery stores and figuring out where to get organic this and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm going to the expensive place that has everything I want. And I don't have to think about it. And it's nice to be able to just grab the things you want, go about your day and, and then get back to focusing on doing things like this or doing high value activities, right? So, so we talked about how frugality, I guess, kind of impacted or allowed you to get started. But when you were kind of giving that introduction about yourself, you mentioned a lot of names that it was almost like every single person you mentioned that came to that bigger pockets meetup is just like a successful real estate investor now, right? So <laughs> how much of it is, I guess, like, what do you attribute to just being in that circle and, and being surrounded by other like-minded investors? And like, how do you recommend other people kind of get themselves in a similar situation? Yeah. I mean, Austin's an example as well, right? Early on, he was in contact with Mike Rosehart and Corey. And, and, and I think it's a huge thing to be surrounded by people who've done what you want to do. I, I like, it was so funny because bigger pockets was all about, you know, no gurus, like do it yourself, whatever. And they're, they're hundred percent, right. If you're lucky enough to be able to just be friends with people like that and learn from people amazing. But at this point, I mean, there's a lot of people who have got wildly successful pretty quickly and their time isn't really accessible anymore. So a lot of people now are hiring coaches and mentors and things like that. And it's one way to be able to get access to these people a little bit more. But absolutely, there's still a a ton of people who you can still DM and ask questions to people who are still willing to get together for coffee with you. That time is extremely valuable. I'm not saying take advantage of it by, by taking advantage of those people, but absolutely take advantage of the fact that people aren't recognizing the value of their time yet. It's an amazing thing that you could DM almost anyone. I mean, they may not give you a very thoughtful reply, but at least they're somewhat accessible. I think that's, I, I think that's kind of mind boggling, to be honest. I'm still, I still reply to every DM. I don't know if I should, but I definitely still do. Oh, man. A lot what of a my champ. time, but <laughs> <laughs> what just, a champ. like I, I went I, until recently when I started doing coaching, like I was not, I didn't have any any monetization about anything I was doing. We had the podcast, we had London on fire. We did for years. It was always just give, 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 give. And it became a little bit exhausting to be completely honest, because, you know, it was great when you're, when you're learning and stuff like that, you become, when, once you're in teacher mode, it becomes like, you know, I'm helping, I'm helping, I'm helping. And, and, and it's, and it's very gratifying, it's very gratifying, but you know, month, monthly meetup after monthly meetup, you know, it can get to be a bit much and it's nice to be able to kind of get a smaller group together and be able to kind of mastermind a bit together, get some really serious people. And it's not just a bunch of tire kickers. So yeah, it's nice to be able to kind of filter in that a little bit and get, and and be surrounded by people who are really serious, you know? There was an important thing you mentioned there, which is you can simply just DM people. And I think that a lot of people are trying to focus on DMing the people with like 30, 40, 50 properties, which obviously their time is much more valuable, but you don't need to ask people with questions with 40 properties. You can ask someone who's just a couple levels ahead of you, someone with three, four, five properties, and they have much more time. There's a significantly less amount of people that reach out to them. So it's more easier to create a long lasting, sustainable relationship with these people. Yes. Right. And then you guys will grow together over time as well. And they're always just slightly ahead of you. So they can help you with that mentorship and coaching that you need as well. So really glad that you mentioned that Kellen. 
like a big thing too is it's about giving it's about it's really all about giving back to these people like like early on like i said matt mckeever was a huge mentor of mine and he was you know he had 13 units or i think it was 13 units at the time when i met him when i met him and, and then like the next month he, he comes to the meetup and he's like i just quit my job and i was like whoa this is like amazing like we need to hear the story and like he hadn't planned on quitting yet at the time but uh you know it, it just it things played out the way they did i'm sure he's told that story before but like it's it's an it's a really great thing to be able to get to be able to build a relationship with people from a very early stage and i think it takes a lot of time to build trust with people too right like if you want to partner with people or you want to work together with people it's nice that you it's nice if you've known someone for some years you get a you get a better feel for them you can trust them better and i think you're absolutely right i think th like that's a huge thing people are overlooking getting connected with people who have one two three properties and not just the people who have you know a whole bunch because those people have learned a lot of the basics already anyway you could learn a ton from them and and like i think people just tend to reach out to people who they resonate with the most and of course the people who are really far ahead have really figured out a lot of these things you can skip a lot of you can definitely skip a lot of the questions and things like that but there's a lot of value in reaching out to those people who are a lot more accessible as well mm -hmm. exactly yeah, man, that's awesome that you're that you're still replying to everyone. I, I think that's great. I think I personally feel like I, I'm sure a lot of us feel like it's also a bit of guilt. Like you want to help people out, but some of the questions that people ask are also just kind of like <laughs> it's a Google cool. search away, essentially, right? A very easy Google search away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. easy Google search, and a lot of it's like they they've got to answer these questions themselves. One thing I found interesting about you is, is in your introduction, you said you you actually did a lot of it without any JV partners. So I'm just curious why you went that route. And, and I guess like if we were to evaluate the, like, yeah, just, I guess just tell us why you went that route. Yeah. I think that, I think that a big part of it is that I was able to, I think that not a lot of people are able to, and, and that may be because they have zero capital to begin with, or because the projects they're doing, they're not getting their capital back out. And if you're not doing that stuff, well, if you're not doing that stuff and getting your money back out, of course you need to get money from somewhere else. But if you're able to do a successful Burr project, you have your money back, you can buy the next property, right? So as long as those projects are actually succeeding the way that you, that you, that, you know, it's pitched, then, then of course you're going to get your money back and you can move on to the next deal. So for me, that was a big part of it is I think I was able to get all my money out of most, a lot of, or a bunch of my money out or all of my money out or all and more depending on the deal. And I was able to keep up that momentum. I was doing things like purchase plus improvements. I was doing some creative financing stuff with people when I was buying properties privately, a variety of different strategies to make sure that I always had momentum and the properties I, were buy I was buying, they always met the bank's math. They always met their rules. So the bank was always willing to provide more mortgages. The main hesitation they would generally have is just the speed at which I was acquiring. But I mean, the numbers made sense. So as long as the properties you're buying cash flow well enough and you have a half decent job that pays a half decent salary, generally you're going to be, your debt service ratios are going to be in the place where you can continue acquiring. And as long as you have the capital by, you know, pulling money out of properties, then you're always going to have the down payment funds. So if you have the down payment funds, you have the financing, you're able to buy the next property. You don't necessarily need another uh, person in the equation, right? Yeah. Those are, those are the main things. And then otherwise, like there's a lot of benefits, of course, to owning properties yourself. There's nobody else involved. Yeah. When you need to make a decision, it's just you. And if you screw something up, there's no one else that you need to feel bad that you messed it up for them. Or if you want to, if you want to renovate a unit in a nicer way, and it doesn't necessarily make sense, you know, hard to justify to a joint venture partner, you can do it because it's your property. Mm -hmm. Or you you plan on holding this property for the next 20 years, and joint venture partners oftentimes don't think that way. So you're going to fix something that they might be like, why am I? Why are you fixing that? Well. I want to, I want to fix it because I want to hang on to this property for the long term. And if somewhere down the lines, they say that five years from now or two years from now that they say, I want to get out of this property. You know, you don't have to figure out how to buy them out or bring in a new partner or whatever, or whatever you sell. Like it's nice to have all of the options, right? I think we all get into real estate for freedom. And I think that doing things without joint venture partners is kind of the ultimate version of that freedom. And, you know, we look for as much of that control as we can. And, you know, we can't control tenants and we can't control contractors, but at least this way we can control who the investors are in our project. And it's nice when, you know, it's nice when, if you're able to do it that way, where it's uh, where you're the sole decision maker. Perfectly said. And, and sometimes I feel like the goal is obviously a line where both parties want financial freedom or cash flow and things of that nature. But for as an active investor, 
uh, a part of what we care about as well is, is how passive can we make it, which means top tenant quality, affording to take a haircut in rent if it means a perfect tenant. Sometimes, rent, like as you were saying, adding a little bit of a touches to the unit that might not necessarily increase ARV, but will get the perfect tenant in there. Yeah. Whereas the joint venture side is how much money am I putting in? Yeah. How much are we cash flowing? You're doing all of the active work. So I, it doesn't take any sweat off of my back. I just care about how much money I'm putting in, right? So yeah. sometimes there's always going to be the balance of, of, of like competing, competing thoughts between both parties. And as, as you said, control is so important in real estate. And we get into real estate because we can control the asset. But when you add elements of influence, it kind of takes that, takes that away. Yeah. And, and honestly, another thing that I don't think I never hear anyone talking about really is just, you know, speed of acquisition is a huge thing. And, you know, if you're doing it with partners, you can do things a lot faster, but you have to do twice as many deals. So you better be doing it twice as fast, right? So if you're, if your goal is 10 properties, you know, you can do that 10 with joint venture partners, or you can do, or sorry, you can do 10 on your own, or you can do 20 with joint venture partners. You can, you can like, you can approach it however you want, but you do have to do it faster if you're doing, if you, if you want to scale to the same net worth and cash flow and all of that with partners. So I think, if your if your goal is strictly like like I just want a sheer number of units in a portfolio, like absolutely joint venture partners are going to be your fastest way of doing that, more than likely. But you know, like just bearing in mind, fifty percent means you have to do twice as many deals. And like the way I look at it, you know, I I I'm really happy. I have fifty two units at this point, and I think it it kind of scares me a bit to think that instead I could have maybe had one hundred and four units with a joint venture partner or with a bunch of partners because that just feels like a lot more to manage, you know, and it is, it's, it's twice the number of properties, twice the number of units and, and a bunch of people involved. I don't know. That's just kind of the way I look at it. And it's just a bunch of projects, right? It's more projects to do. <laughs> yeah. So, so one way that me and Austin look at the JV side, cause this is a debate that me and Austin have had as well. It's like, do you, do you keep going with the JV or do you keep going with private? And like, at some point you realize that you're giving up a lot of equity or lift and stuff like that to the JV partners, which is fine. Cause like it's all needed at a point in time, but there's a capital risk as well, right? Like tenants, non-paying rent, right. Or like three furnaces go out at the same time. And now you've got a cash call of like 10 grand, right. I mean, yeah. okay, it's probably not a substantial enough example, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like the more you scale and the more properties you have, the more potential cash calls that could hit you all at the same time. And the, and the idea with bringing in JV partners is also you kind of split that that risk out a little bit, right? Like, okay, this property, you're my yes. JV partner on it. I need a capital call in 5K. And then I've got another property here that has another capital call of 10K, but now I can manage that, right? Because it's 5K here, 5K there, like whatever. Yeah. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Is it just offering and, and saving? Uh, honestly, like, I think that there are, like, we didn't touch at all about the, on the pros of, of joint venture partnerships. There are a ton of them. I mean, it's, it's the definition of a win-win, right? One person doesn't have to do anything and they get to make money. And the other person doesn't have to bring any money and they get to buy real estate. I mean, that's a really cool situation. So there's like, the nice thing is there's more people winning in that scenario. So it's, it's, it's distributing the wealth a little bit. It's a nice way to build relationships maybe with people. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's really great in that way. And speed of acquisition is a nice thing as well, right? You buy a deal and you come across another one. How am I going to finance this? Well, I just got to get another person involved mm -hmm. and the money's there. And I mean, as like, I remember back in 2016, people saying like, I'd occasionally hear there's money available. It's everywhere. And I'd be like, I don't, that doesn't, that's crazy. Like, and now I'm like, holy, it's everywhere. Right. Everyone knows this. There's money like flowing. And, and especially now, because there's a ton of equity everyone has in their properties. A lot of things have gone up in value. S and P everything's going up. Right. So, but yeah, I think there's a ton of benefits to both sides. And I think that like, and I have students that are doing joint ventures as well. They have family involved. They have also, there's, there's, there's plenty of time, you know, if you have like, this is another thing is like, if you come across a deal and you can't do it yourself, they're like, you, you can't figure it out. Of course, like you don't want to just pass on the deal. Right. Like, so like make it work one way or another, whether you're wholesaling it or passing it on to an agent to the list and splitting commission or, or doing it with a partner. Like there's always ways to make money with, if you come across a deal, it's not worth passing it up just because you, you want to be a perfectionist. Right. But uh, I, I'd be lying if I said I haven't passed up deals for that reason, because I, I do lean toward that perfectionist side of things and I've passed things up in the, you know, but what I'll try to do more, a little bit more now is pass it on to a student or like wholesale it in some way, right? And, and at least someone's getting something out of it that way.
so Kellen, um, you scaled quite quickly. Um, maybe not number of properties, but number of units. And it's a hundred percent owned, as you were saying. Can we go through your journey a bit more? So your first property you mentioned was a house hack. Fixer upper was out of burr, and and what happened there, and how did that move to the second, third, fourth? Yeah. So the first property uh, was five percent down, and it was a duplex that that needed turnover, and it needed it needed a little bit of work. It needed cosmetic work. Nothing, nothing too crazy. So yeah, uh, not even like maybe some flooring in one of the units, paint the cabinets, you know, that kind of stuff, put new handles on new countertop. Yeah. Just a bunch of little fixes and things like that. You know, we insulated the attic and the exterior walls, spray foam the basement, replaced the furnace, like some, some nothing too, too crazy. Uh, and then the other side, we ended up actually completely renovating the kitchen because the layout was terrible. So that one did have a significant reno. But yeah, it, it, I did that one later. I, I did that after I'd already kind of bought a few more properties. But yeah, that one was a pretty easy way to get. I think that like, it's nice. Obviously, if you can get a property like that in the early days, 5% down, I mean, generally, you're not looking to do large renovations because you're only able to refinance back up to 80% loan to value and not 95% again. So it's nice when you can just, when you're putting 5% down to just kind of leave it at that or do a purchase plus improvements on top of that so that you can get your renovation money back out as well. I think that's the number one way for most, for a lot of people to start house hack with 5% down using a purchase plus improvements, just amazing, an amazing strategy that I very rarely see people using, but I'm really trying to get message out there a lot more about it because it's awesome, right? You can get 5% down, you get all your rental money back and you're living for free. I mean, that's a hell of a Kickstarter to your journey. So, so not, um, not to take away from your journey, like your, your progress, but the, how, how does the purchase plus improvement program work? Because I've heard from a few people that you need to give that like, contract receipts and it's a little bit more of like a painful process that's called that yeah it's a bunch of paperwork for sure uh, it's worth it though <laughs> so <laughs> so you have to like upon the uh, initial appraisal you actually have to hand them uh, the contract you have to hand the bank which passes along to the appraiser that you have to hand them a quote the quote could be done by maybe someone you know that is the contractor right it doesn't necessarily need to be done by some company so you give them a quote saying i'm going to do say twenty thousand dollars worth of work and uh, they say, okay, you're buying it for 400. And I see how if you do $20,000 worth of work, it's going to be worth 420. So we can appraise this at 420 based on that assumption. Once you're done the work, we can verify that. So you close on the property with that assumption, you have to do 5% down on 420 instead of on 400. And then, you know, a couple months pass, a few months pass, you do that $20,000 worth of work. You go back to the bank and say, I've done this work. They need to see paperwork that you have done this work. They need to see receipts. And then they give that to the appraiser. Appraiser comes back out for a second time. They say, okay, yeah, you've done the kitchen. You've done the flooring. This probably did cost around $20,000. Yeah, and they give you a check mark. And now the $20,000 check literally gets handed to you or deposited into your bank account. And uh, that ideally, but in, in all, in, that should pay for all of your renovations. It's a little bit quirky if you do some of the work yourself because it's like, you know, so you can talk to the bank and kind of finesse that a bit, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little more paperwork, but 100% worth it, right? I mean, you're $20,000 less out of pocket in that scenario. That's a really significant portion of a down payment for a lot of people. Absolutely. And okay, so first one, uh, you went 5%. Um, you did some minor touch-ups here and there. And then you got the second and third one at the same day you were saying, right? And what yeah. was the timeline between the first one and the second, third? It was probably, it was a decent chunk of time. I think it was, so it was August of 2016 that I bought my first. And then yeah. it was definitely 2017 that I bought the second sometime early, early 2017 might've been January. I'm not sure. And one of them is the one I'm in currently. It's a triplex. Yeah. And then the other, and th this one wasn't a huge renovation, but um, I was able to structure it with cash back on closing, which I can't get into too much detail on because it really depends on the lender and how you structure that kind of thing. But it's a pretty powerful strategy if you if you can figure out ways to do it. And then the one on uh, the one the other one that I got was a duplex, and uh, I got it for a killer price. And and I did baseline like I did I, I did some pretty significant renovations. But I I for anything I could I kept I kept the kitchens I painted things I I tried to keep everything I could and just keep the renovation costs really low which resulted in an, an amazing burr because, I mean, that's something really pe people really overlook is that uh, reappraisals are generally based on comparable sales. I mean, you can do a profit and loss statement, all sorts of things and hand it to the appraiser, and, but like they're looking at comps. I mean, that's 90% of what they're doing and you can try and push them in a bit, but like it's mostly comps and therefore renovations, 
they matter for sure, but it doesn't need to be amazing. It just needs to be clean. And if, if they come through and it's a duplex and duplexes in the area are selling for this much, you're going to get somewhere near that. Really not too, too complicated. And, you know, this was a prime example that I, I, I got it cleaned up in a way, but there was tons of existing original trim and all sorts of things I didn't redo. And it came back at what duplexes sold for in the area at that time. And uh, that ended up being 125 grand more than I paid for the place. So it was a, it was a really good, uh, yeah, really good That's project. Definitely a secret sauce is don't over renovate, right? Yes. And me and my, you preach it all the time. And a lot of people have the habit of over renovating. You're not flipping. Flipping is different. If it's flipping, of course, you want to make sure everything's beautiful. But when you're burring, really, it's, as you were saying, it's the comps that matter. And you can cherry pick your comps when you give it to an appraiser, not saying that they will take those comps. But if you build a good report with them, as you were saying, the income, the income and expense statement doesn't matter too much. What I do actually, interestingly enough, is when I cherry pick the comps, I do an income and expense to align with that cherry pick comp. Yes. The higher oh, yeah. I do all this too. And, and it's worth doing because it's why not? I mean, we may as well try and get that edge. But uh, but like, as we know, 90% of it is just comparable sales most of the time. Unless it's some really quirky property, you're the only duplex in the area, then you really have to justify it, right? Because then there's not a lot of comps. But yeah, really some not to like, that's something that a lot of people don't talk about as well is like, you know, if you do plan on scaling up a really significant portfolio, at some point, you're going to have a lot more capital and a lot more resources available to do significant renos later if you want. So if you can get a property kind of clean and ready, ready to rent, and like, maybe you're not replacing, you know, the furnace right now, or and maybe you're not doing all of these big high ticket items right now, but later you plan to, I mean, you can get, you can still get an amazing reappraisal and then go back a couple of years later and do those things when you're, when it's a little easier for you to afford. And so I go back to that second property I ever bought and I'm not really proud of the renovations that were done in there. They were really not very good, <laughs> but it didn't matter. I mean, once the floor, once when, when you have new flooring and new paint and new tenants move in and they have a bunch of furniture there, I mean, it looks like a house at the end of the day, it's not going to look like, you know, it's not going to make a night and day difference on your, on your, on your after repair value on your appraisal. So yeah, try and keep renovations somewhat basic. I like to do, I mean, flooring is an amazing thing, paint. And then I love to do a lot, a lot of subway tile and backsplashes yeah. and things like that because it's not expensive and it makes, it really gives it a premium look uh, without spending a lot of money. So strategic things like that, dishwashers, you know, in-suite laundry, anytime you can get bump the, the rent up another 50 bucks, hundred bucks, it makes a big difference. Absolutely. Uh, so, so Kellen, I know now you're also coaching, coaching different people and different investors at various stages. Myself and Austin are also like being coached and we have mentors and, and we do coaching and things like that. But what the question I get a lot from other people is, you know, do you recommend that I join X, Y, and Z as a coach? Or do you recommend that like, I need a coach? Should I like, how much should I pay? Like all, all of those sort of questions. And so like, I'm just curious from yourself, you know, what does your coaching program look like? And I guess really at what point do you think an investor should utilize a coach or a men mentor? Yeah. Yeah. I think like it's pretty, it's a pretty serious investment, right? So like if you don't have a lot of capital and you're not in a great situation, like, like, or you're not really ready to raise a good amount from friends and family and things like that, probably not a great time for you. I mean, maybe try and get into that first property, the 5% down, try and get get started on your own. I mean, that could be a really great thing. You definitely don't want to just spend all your money on a coach and then not have any money to buy real estate. I mean, I don't yeah. even accept people that are applying with that situation because it's just predatory, right? Like that's the opposite of what I stand for. So I think it's really good for people who are like, you know what, I've been doing this. I, I, I really want to really double down at this point though. Like I really want to scale. I really want to quit my job in, you know, in the coming years. And I understand that this process isn't overnight and uh, you know, and I'm ready to like, I, I really want that assistance along the way. I think it really can make an amazing difference. I, I, I was able to experience it without like informally along the way with a lot of mentors and and if you're able to have those types of people in your life that are able to coach you along the way, then amazing. But otherwise, I think, yeah, I think I, I, I hate I, it's weird. It's weird to be in this position because I was always the person who did it on my own and didn't hire people and, and things like that. But looking back, if I didn't have those people already surrounding me, it would have been. Yeah, it, it would have been. I wouldn't have done what I'd done. I definitely wouldn't have. I can think of dozens and dozens of pointers and realignments and things like that that my mentors gave me along the way that allowed me to you know move things move faster right like the home buyer's plan i mentioned 
you know, I wouldn't have done that if Matt McKeever hadn't mentioned it. I would have just, in fact, I probably would have bought my first property with 20% down because I had it. Cause I was like, I have the money. I mean, why, why would I try and do 5% down if I can do 20? Like there were a variety of things that really would have slowed me down if I hadn't had the guidance along the way. So I've started to realize the value of it. And that's why I really wanted to put something out there that, I don't know, like there's a lot of stuff out there. Some of it feels like they're just trying to take your money. Right. And, and for me, it's really important to have a lot of one-on-one really specific guidance to people's situations actually have my time and, and, you know, and it'd be me that you're talking to. And like, I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to grow something that hopefully will resonate with, uh, with people in a way that, you know, I'm really not about the Lambo life and all that stuff. Right. Like I'm a different approach to these things. And I think I try to be really realistic about how things work, realistic about your goals, you know, scale in a sustainable way, always have, you know, a foundation to fall back upon as you go learn as you go, because as quickly as it looks like I scaled my portfolio and, and like I was growing and learning and always building my foundation to fall back upon along the way. And it maybe look, doesn't look that way. When you look at my portfolio, this one giant portfolio, it didn't take that long, but Hey, I was, I was always building that foundation. I wasn't going crazy. So yeah, I mean, the coaching program, the way I'm structuring it is it's 12 month program and we have weekly calls every week. I'm, you know, giving, I'm holding people accountable. I'm giving them things to work on. We always start with what they're like, why they're doing what they're doing. What are their goals? Reverse engineering those goals into actionable steps. And then every week taking, making progress toward those steps and then being there via texting and email and stuff in between. So you can always shoot me a message. I've had my students sending me messages throughout their renovations this week, like, Hey, we just noticed some knob and tube. What should we do? Hey, you know, we had a plumbing leak. We had a stack of leak in our plumbing stack. What should we do? Like, or, Hey, I'm having trouble with this tenant. How should I approach it? And it's just nice to have someone available that can just answer that question and you move on. Right. Cause we know as investors along the way, how, you know, when we came across the problem, we would just be stuck on it for a week sometimes. And you're just mulling it over. And it's nice to just have someone to be like, I've been through this. This is what you should do cool. You just saved me a week. Right. Or, Hey, I have a foundation issue. What should I do? Here's a foundation guy. Oh, amazing. Like, like now I can just go get that fixed. I know this contractor is reliable. I don't need to get three quotes and question their, yeah, all this stuff. Like it, it really, I'm, I, I really do believe in it significantly. That like that's a really good value prop. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. The ability to just ever ask someone. me that question, I'm gonna be like, listen to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> right, like it, it's crazy though. Like everyone that asks me, I just kind of say, you know what? Like I'd recommend you get up to two or three properties on your own. Albeit there's a huge risk that you structure everything wrong and you over leverage and you <laughs> mess up in those two to three. But I think like if you have zero properties and it's like, oh, like how do I call a realtor? Like how do I like put in an offer? Like those kind of things like you can figure out for the most part on your own and, and you should, you don't want to just be handheld through everything. But then once you get into doing like the actual renovation projects, like more bird properties and things like that, that's when like having someone that you could literally just text and ask them a question and things like that. Like it's a huge value prop, right? I tried to make it that I tried to make it like, it's not cheap, but I tried making it a no brainer for people because it like, if, if, if that's where you're like, if your goal is to scale quickly and you need someone to, and you want someone's help to guide you along the way that's done this before, I tried to make it an absolute no brainer, right? It's everything you need. Mm-hmm. It's everything you need. It's answering all your questions along. It's telling you exactly what to work on because I've done this before and I've, I mean, my girlfriend's doing it at this point. She's at seven properties. She's working her way up to 10. She's doing it all by herself. Uh, no partners. She's wow. going to quit her job as well. I I mean, there's been a variety of my friends and stuff like that, that have mentored along the way informally that are just doing the same thing. So it's yeah. completely doable uh, with the right guidance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then just to, just to finish up what I was saying. So like we do, we're going to be doing masterminds and stuff like that as well. So we get all the students together and you know, collaborate and like discuss topics together. I'm going to lead those things. It's really important that I'm always involved. So that's a huge thing. Like people aren't going to sign up for my coaching unless it's with me. Right. So that's a super important value aspect that I'm trying to bring is that it's, it's one-on-one time with me and it, and it'll always be that way. That's how I'd like to approach these things. I I always like, I, I, one of my favorite books is extreme accountability. And I live by that. Like everything is my fault or if I win, it's my success. And and for me, it's super important as a coach to be always like, if someone's not doing well, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that person does succeed because I take it in uh, for better or for worse. I'll take it to heart, right? I'll take it personally. It's very important to me that, you know, 
that I give the value that I, that I say I'm going to give. I mean, it's, it's my, it's my main thing right now. It's what I'm focusing on. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to touch on one thing. I think you said there that like, it's not, it's not cheap, right? Like coaching at the end of the day, you're yeah. paying to be involved in someone whose dollar per hour should be pretty high, or maybe yeah. you then need a different coach if it's not that high, right? Like your dollar. Yeah. Per hour, yeah. From like the passive income and all that stuff must be high. Uh, like I know when, when I signed up for coaching, I spent, like just around, uh, I don't know if I should say how much, but like, let's just call it like over 10 grand. Right. And, and I just looked at it as, okay, this is my goal. I'm going to quit my job within one year, like 12 months of signing this program. So I automatically knew that I would derive some value from it. And then I, I just decided to, instead of burying one property, I just flipped it. And I, I got my entire like coaching key. Plus it's it. like <laughs> so quickly, sometimes like, like someone will shoot me a text and my answer will be a $2,000 answer. Right. Like, yeah. like this stuff happens all the time. Like, yeah, or like the right reference to the right person or what like hey use this contractor oh that saved me two grand like oh hey should i do this deal no like or <laughs> yes jump on that as soon as possible or like like there's there's so many ways in which you can make that money back in in two seconds i think for a lot of people it, may, it makes a lot of sense but like i said there's a variety of people it doesn't as well you don't want people just throwing their you don't want people just i don't know like you have to be yeah. serious right it's not yeah. it's not like oh like i'll just do that like no this is like I'm going to dedicate this next year to, you know, like, like striving toward financial independence, building a portfolio in a sustainable way. So you know what <laughs> that's I kind of my thought. Funny is, is people can't justify the price of a coach, but they can justify like one semester at post-secondary education. Yeah. And there's four years of that, right? Coaching is a one-year program. Generally, you always want, like for me, I always feel like I want a coach or some sort of mastermind group to be around. Yeah. Um, so I'm always like investing in, in that sense, but it, it's ridiculous. Some people think it's a scam. They don't want to invest in it. And they're just okay to spend money on education where you get like almost no, I'm not going to say almost no return. You get a return. <laughs> you, got, you got quite a bit of a return, but like it's not an immediate return, right? And you don't even get a guaranteed job. Right. Yeah. At least with the coaching, that person's there to see you succeed every step along the way. Whereas your professor in school, he just sees you in class, office hours, boom, that's it. And you're still yeah. paying this guy like 10 grand plus. Yeah, it's it's definitely there's like I I I know there's a ton of mindset stuff out there, and I'm not I, I definitely don't try to be that that person, but it's a it's definitely a mindset thing. I mean, you need to you need to put it into perspective and 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 everything. I mean, I had someone reach out the other day who's like, you know, I'm looking to take an, a construction course. It's, it's $4,000 and I can learn about how to do construction and whatever. And I was like, well, why don't you like completely change your perspective and say, why don't I go work for someone for free and like work beside them and they'll teach me everything. It'll cost me nothing. And I'll probably learn even better stuff because they're actually out there in the field doing these things. Like exactly. sometimes it's just a basic, like a, a basic mindset shift can, can cause you to head in the right direction. So I really try and focus on actionable stuff and every, like every week I'm talking to people and like giving actionable steps, but there are times where you get into a headspace and you know, you're in the middle of a renovation and you're in a tunnel or like there's, or you just, you're having trouble finding a deal or whatever. Like there's a variety of mindset things that are very important that can, you know, give you the energy to keep going and be inspired again, you know? Absolutely. Awesome. And, and one thing that I did want to ask about is that in, in regards to your goal, so now that you're retired, you did the entire traveling across the states not this year guys fyi it was it was the last year before no (laughs) (laughs) just got to clarify okay Um, but yeah like you did the traveling around the states how has your goals changed over time now that you're in real estate full-time it seems like you're putting a lot more time in the coaching business but i just want to hear from you like what are your what are your goals now yeah so my goals earlier this year i really started thinking i'd like to buy an apartment building and i'm really trying to focus for sure on six units and up but like i would love to buy an apartment building solo and that's kind of my my goal right now really i don't see a ton of that stuff and it just it excites me right you can hear it in my voice like this is something i would love to do man it's a big down payment though so i gotta get ready for that because you know i maybe need like a seven hundred thousand dollar down payment right like It'd be quite a bit. So I got a lot of refinancing to do and, and, and moving capital around, but that's a huge goal of mine. But yeah, I mean, that and the coaching are my, my two main focuses at this point. And to be honest, definitely more on the coaching side, because I have two leads on apartment buildings that I haven't even called yet. So, uh, and it's been over. like a week. It's really <laughs> bad. <laughs> and they're like exactly what I would want. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think like, it's super important to have a lot, like a balance as well. Right. I mean, it's cliche and all, but like 
you can't sustain this for, you know, we've seen people, it's not a pretty sight when people burn out, uh, especially actively openly on social media. It's really uncomfortable to watch. It's nice to see. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I wasn't talking about you or anything. I'm <laughs> for those of you guys, that periodic. I was pointing out myself because I did have those racks on social media. I definitely wasn't. Yeah, I definitely wasn't referring to that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's super important to have, like not everyone can handle that burnout right a lot of people are just going to give up after that or or it's going to set them back quite a bit i don't know I, I really think it's important to to grow things in a sustainable way and build that foundation along the way so it so i mean a big part of that is keeping your health in check along the way not completely throwing that on the back burner and and just focusing on real estate because I mean, this is going to eat you like this is going to this is going to be a problem years down the road. Right. And your relationships, it's a huge thing. If you're dedicating 100 percent of your time to real estate, you probably your relationship probably won't last. Or, or if you're lucky, your partner is going to be really, really, uh, you know, really patient with you, but probably more than they should be. So, I mean, I've experienced a lot of this stuff. And uh, and so it's it's been very important for me. Uh, it's been a really important focus of mine to, you know, have my time with my partner and have my time with my health and, and eating well and sleeping, getting enough sleep and all these things. Like I think I'm always trying to have a really balanced approach to this stuff. And if you have family, I mean, that's a huge thing, right? If you have kids, like it's very important to have that time with them. And it's, it's a, it's hard to balance that with like the idea that real estate investing and build and getting financial independence, that's an amazing thing for your family, right? Like Angie and I, you know, if we decide we want to have kids in the future, like, it'd be an amazing thing for neither of us to have to work our jobs, right? And be able to spend all the time with kids. And that's a, like, that's a dream in a lot of ways. So yeah, work-life balance is, is a huge focus as well. I try and remind people of that. Yeah, and I, I just want to chime in. I definitely agree with you. I've been victim of all of these things as well. Because when stress builds up, you take it on the people that you care about the most, whoever's around you, right? Yeah. I, I don't know for you, but for me, when I'm stressed out and someone tries to talk, to me, I'm like, just fucking leave me alone right yeah. now. I'm just trying to do something. Yeah. And like, it could be the smallest things. It like starts eating you alive. You get irritated very easily. Yeah. And I still have those moments, to be honest with you. But that's where I realized that's a setback. And now I need to work on systemizing my business, right? Not working yeah. too much in my business. Free up my time. Yes. Health in 2021 is a huge priority. A lot of people won't believe it, but like probably like four years ago, dude, I was pretty fit. I had six fat abs. I was ripped and now I've gained five, <laughs> 60 pounds, dude. It's bad. I mean, people just look at the property count, right? But there were so many things that are still like that I went through like failures, right? And now I'm trying now to revert it back. But I'm also fortunate in the sense now that I won't have the nine to five, I can spend that time allocated more towards building yes. my lifestyle back in place but it's very important that you mention that for sure yeah i mean when you have financial independence and you're no longer sitting at that desk or whatever you're doing from nine to five your brain goes in directions it never went before you get time to think about things you never thought about and for better or for worse right i mean some people get depressed because of that or they just they, all they know is how to keep scaling so that's what they do i think it's really important along your way, along your journey, while you're acquiring to think about what, like what you want out of your life. What is your ideal life, right? Like if you had to say, this would be the best life for me, I would love this. Like, what is that? And are you going towards that? Like, is that, is that like, are you in that direction right now? Or, or is it a different direction? Is it, you know, and, and how much is ego playing a role in this? Right. I mean, I've faced this and I, I know like a lot of people that face this, I mean, they're, they're doing a lot of this stuff just to show people they're doing it and it's not for themselves. So if you're, you know, the next building you're looking to buy or the next project you're looking to take on, like, is it something you want to do? Like, is it your goal or is it other people's goal? Right. I don't know. There's a lot of this stuff that you, you have time to think about when you're not working so on how, tasks for your boss. How'd you make sure that you stayed, I guess, like efficient or motivated once you quit your job? Cause it's not like you just stopped and you lose that nine to five structure, which as much as we all like, bash on it it's still structured and it makes you short on time so you have to be efficient right yeah um, so yeah yeah I think that's built into me luckily I, I, I so first off in university and things like that I described myself as a procrastinator I really didn't see myself as someone who was self-motivated or anything like that it turns out I just wasn't passionate about those things I mean you're not like if you're not passionate about something it's going to be an effort to do it and if you find something that you're actually passionate about it's not an effort all of a sudden you're happy to spend all of your time working on that thing. So turns out real estate is that thing for me. Coaching is that thing for me. 
even in some ways, not so much recently, I'm probably leaning away from this, but I was really enjoying property management. It's still cool. Like I still like it, but I mean, sometimes it gets, sometimes it gets old. Right. But yeah, I mean, if you're lucky enough to align your passion with like, if this tends to align with your passions, it's an amazing thing. But like, for example, Angie, my girlfriend, she doesn't, she doesn't love real estate. She really wants financial independence. She wants to travel. Like we have big plans in that regard. And so those, like, it's really important to look at what are those things that you really want to do and align your goals with that. So yeah, in terms of finding like self-motivation and things like that, luckily it was kind of built in for me, but I think that like a lot of people, you know, Matt's and McKeever's talked about this. They have a decompression period after they leave their job, like, you know, a couple of weeks where you just play video games and, and sit around and Hey, that, that's a, that's a good couple of weeks, but then not, it really doesn't take long before you're like, all right, I'm bored. Now what? Like, and then you start thinking, well, I don't want to get a job. I know that. Cause that was what this was all about. So you start building a business. I mean, that's, you either do that or you start building a nonprofit or you volunteer or you go, or you, you're like, I want to run a marathon now, or, or I want to like, you, you start reading books and you start filling your time with good, healthy things pretty quickly. Hopefully <laughs> yeah. that was kind of my experience. I don't think it's too big of a problem for a lot of people having that free time, but I do think it's very important along your way, along your journey to identify what the things are that you want to do when you do leave your job and actually think about it because some of these things might get boring after a year or two, right? You want to find things you're really passionate about. I always knew I loved teaching people and I had no idea how, if that would ever come into play. I really never thought it would. Turns out I'm really lucky in that it has, but trying to identify those things that you really, you could do forever. You love it. Right. And, and hopefully you can, you can do those things once you leave your job. That's awesome. Yeah. So Kellen, that leads us into our rapid round questions. So I guess like where, where are we going to be seeing you five years from now? This is so funny because I was just talking about this and how everyone else should have this figured out and I don't have it figured out. <laughs> so maybe I'm talking about it because I need to. Now, I know that, you know, we have, we do have plans like, like, you know, Angie and I are making plans about what we want to do in the coming years. You know, she wants to get a couple more years, then she'll be able to quit her job and, and, you know, she'll have her own separate version of financial independence um, from her portfolio, which is separate from mine. And I think that I know that we want to live in like Vancouver for, uh, for like a summer or something like that. I oh, think that would be super that's cool. High cost of living, dude. Yeah. Well, whatever. <laughs> right. Like you, you get, yeah, it just comes out of the cash flow. It's something yeah. I want to do. I mean, at this point, I'm, I, if I want to do something, I, I can, I can do it. So that's something I want to do. I'd love to be able to live in Australia for a short period of time. I know Angie wants to travel all around Europe and go to Iceland again. We've both been to Iceland, but like travel, go to a bunch of these places and travel a bunch. And then, you know, I'll be also, I'm, I'm, I'll be getting into my mid thirties. So like all of that, all of those things are something to consider. So I, I think, uh, you know, family and stuff like that. So realistically, yeah, I think that's how I see the coming years playing out for me. <laughs> I didn't even talk about real estate in that regard, but I think that I'm definitely, my goal is to buy an apartment building. So hopefully I have a couple, one or two apartment buildings at that point. And the nice thing about apartment buildings is you, you can buy one a year and that's cool, especially if you're doing it yourself, right? If you're doing it without partners, how many apartment buildings do you need to own yourself, right? Like, so pro hopefully if things go well, I'll have enough. And I think I, I, I don't totally see this happening. Uh, yeah. Having an apartment building, doing some of these things with my life. Yeah. That's where I see it. That's awesome. A commonality between a lot of investors is that they want financial independence to travel. And that's likewise with me, Mayu, I'm sure it's the same situation with you, right? Yep. So, so that's, that's cool. Second question is if you won $10 million today, how would you spend it? And let's say you can't spend it all on real estate. Some of it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say buying a power milling. Um, it's a good question then. Um, hmm. Can you invest it at all? Yeah. Okay, let's talk. Yeah. You can invest some of it. Well, let's add some fun elements to it as well. Yeah. So for fun, I think, it, I think, well, actually I know one of the big ones. I didn't even, I didn't talk about this. I think a big one for me is actually retiring my parents. I think that mm. would be a huge thing. They definitely didn't do too great financially. So it'd be nice for me to be able to help them out in that regard. That's a big one. And I mean, I could, I, I could probably do a version of that right now. But I mean, 10 million bucks would be a nice thing to make that happen right away. So I think that's probably a big thing I would do first, uh, retire my parents. And hey, then I probably need to retire Angie. You should. Oh, she's, <laughs> she's got that. She's got it on. I'm mentoring her along the way, but she's, she's, she's doing great. Yeah. yeah. She's got ni 19 units now or something like that. Or yeah. 
So she's doing really well. Great cash flowing properties. But yeah, I, I think like I maybe I'd look for other invest. Actually, that'd be cool to like learn more about buying businesses and things like that. Not something I know a ton about. So I'd probably, you know, get involved with that kind of thing, learn a little bit more about it. Cause if I can't buy real estate with it, I gotta, I gotta invest it somewhere. <laughs> sure. So if you could have dinner with uh, one person dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Yeah. I don't know. A bunch of names that come to my head. Like these are people I think I can, could get connected with anyway, but uh, there's like nutrition people on YouTube that I like Sim Derek Simnet from Simnet nutrition. It's like, I really love his YouTube channel. He just, he lives in Canada. It wouldn't be hard for me to probably get connected if I wanted, but I think it would be, it would definitely be people that I otherwise would have difficulty connecting with. I don't know. Some names that come to head. I like, I like Kevin O'Leary. I think he's cool. I think Elon Musk would be awesome to, to have a conversation with maybe Jeff Bezos. People, like, I guess people with a lot of money and then people who have their health in really in order, probably people who are inspiring in different aspects of their lives. Maybe people that are really inspiring in terms of their success with relationships. And I think it would just be, you know, if I could surround myself with five people who have all five aspects of their life perfectly in order, then maybe I would start getting more of my aspects of my life perfectly in order. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kellen. It was an amazing episode. Got a lot of golden nuggets. Love that we dive down into coaching. It's definitely a question me and my, you get a lot. So next time anyone asks, we're just going to forward it over to this episode to hear everyone's <laughs> thank thoughts. You, man. Highlighting the pros and cons of JVs. There was just a lot of great content here. And yeah. uh, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Instagram is the main thing, kellen.james on Instagram. And then my website is kellenjames.ca. Um, those are the best ways. I have a YouTube channel as well. Uh, I'm not super active on it, but I have some great videos on there on how to find off-market deals, how to screen tenants. They're like 25-minute videos that get into everything because I don't like to miss details. So yeah, but Instagram and my website, probably the best ways. Perfect. Awesome. We're going to add that to the show notes as usual, everyone. And if you enjoyed this podcast, as usual, make sure to like it, share it with a friend, leave a comment, give us a five-star review. All of that good stuff keeps us motivated. It, get, it gets great guests like Kellen on the show. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And check out the episode of the On Fire podcast with Austin soon. Knew that too. <laughs> <laughs>